This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with non-toxic medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, diaper rashes, and other types of skin damage. I discovered Active Skin Repair and their baby spray from my community when our daughter was a newborn and had constant diaper rashes, and it really helped and continues to help. Containing hypochlorous acid, which is an effective option for helping with yeast diaper rashes, we just spray or dab active skin repair onto the skin with a clean cloth or cotton ball let's sit for 15 seconds and then apply our balm or ointment of choice with over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and to get 20% off your order using code PEDSDOC that's p-e-d-s-d-o-c Welcome to this episode. I am so excited to welcome one of my favorite accounts on social media, Raising Little Talkers. This is Melissa Minnie. She is a speech language pathologist and mother, and we're going to be talking all about pre-verbal skills. Thank you so much for joining me, Melissa. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm so excited that I got to connect with you on social media. I love your account. I love the way you give information. What do you love most about being a speech language pathologist? And why did you start Raising Little Talkers? So my favorite part about being a speech therapist is helping parents connect and communicate with their children. I've always known communication to be the bedrock of any relationship, but it wasn't really until I had children of my own that I really felt the impact that talking has on the parent-baby and parent-toddler relationship. And for my husband and I, we always talk about this, how when our kids started to talk, they felt more like real people with desires and thoughts and ideas and feelings. And we saw them really starting to take shape and felt more bonded and more connected to them. This was even more pronounced for my husband who didn't have that birth or nursing bond that I had. Mm-hmm. So that really is a shift that happened for me after I had children, and it's one of my favorite things to foster in other families right now. Oh, that's so great. Yeah, and I started the Raising Little Talkers Instagram page at the start of the pandemic for a few reasons, um, mainly to keep my skills sharp while I wasn't able to see clients, but also to connect with other moms and empower them to help their kids at home while they didn't have access to speech therapy. And I really had no intention of it turning into a business, but as it started to grow, I began doing consultations and then turning down requests for consultations because I didn't have the time while being at home with my kids. And I really realized the need for what I was offering and decided to create a course so I could help more parents than my schedule allowed. And that's how it all started. Awesome. And you're going to be able to give more information about your course at the end, because I think it's so great that you provide these resources. And like you said, in a pandemic, parents really wanted this information. And I think it is going to be something that we see on social media that it will carry, I think, past the pandemic too, um, because, you know, social media has become such a great place for reliable education from, you know, people we trust. And I definitely learned so much from you um, being so obviously geared towards speech language pathology has been so important for me as a pediatrician to learn too. So I really appreciate what you're doing on there. Oh, I'm so glad. Thank you. So yeah, I'm like, again, I'm so happy that we're able to connect. Um, And we're talking about 
pre-verbal skills. And so I think it's such an important thing that we discuss because we talk about language and communication, but there's a difference between the two. And, you know, spoken language, like the words we hear children say, a lot of that begins even before we hear that first word. So what exactly are pre-verbal skills and why are they so important? Absolutely. They're not talked about enough. So pre-verbal skills are these necessary building blocks that each child needs in order to uh, start talking. We can't expect a child to talk if they have weaknesses in or are missing any of these skills. So they should be developed by 12 months. And like I said, it's really not talked about enough. We often hear parents like really excited about this big speech and language milestone of babbling and then first words and sort of not talking about any of the other mini milestones that come in between those or even before babbling. So I love that um, when I share these with parents, they're able to track these and have small wins to celebrate as they eagerly await their baby or toddler's first words. So one of the very first things that we see starting between birth and three months old is what I just call looking and listening. So this is your baby sensing and reacting to events in the environment, such as like alerting sounds, moving objects, and then even communication from another person. So turning their head toward a voice that they hear, making and maintaining eye contact with somebody who's looking at them. Um, the next one is anticipation. Um, this one, actually all the rest of them that I'm going to talk about start around six to nine months, mm -hmm. some of them even earlier, and I'll touch on each one as I go. But anticipation is when your baby anticipates what's going to happen next based on the sounds that they hear. So for example, let's say they hear running bath water or a key in the door. They know that one means they're about to take a bath or that daddy might be home from work. Um, the gestures and facial expressions they see. So maybe they are bracing themselves for tickles that are going to come. If your fingers are out, like you're going to tickle them or they see a tower about to knock over and they're going to brace themselves because they know it's going to fall and make a big crash. Um, and eventually this turns into words they hear. So if you're saying, I'm going to get you, your child anticipates that a game of chase is going to start and they're going to start running. Um, the next one is imitating. Imitating can happen certainly at birth. I'm sure you've heard of people saying, you know, my baby's imitating my facial expression or yeah. my tongue sticking out, right? Um, that's not conscious imitation. And that definitely happens very early on. Eventually, between six to nine months, we'll start to see some purposeful imitation, which is where babies will imitate some facial expressions, body movements, gestures, sounds, and eventually words and phrases. And this is really important because a child will imitate your sounds and words prior to using them independently. So we really want to see that the imitation piece is strong. The next one is turn-taking, mm -hmm. and this is not to be confused with sharing with a peer. So this is this back-and-forth interaction with another person, for example, handing objects back and forth, playing peekaboo back and forth, or rolling a ball back and forth with an adult. This is the foundation of conversational turn-taking. So think, I say something, you say something. I say something, you say something. That's the expected turn-taking that we do when we are communicating with another. And the next one is joint attention. And this one is really big. Joint attention is when you and your child are focused on the same object or activity. You're both aware that you're sharing that experience. Think of a triangle connecting the three of you. So you, mm -hmm. your child, and an object or event that you're watching. And this is critical for language development because in order for your child to learn the meanings of words, they need to be able to attend to what you're saying. So they learn the word and to the object or event or activity so they can make the association between the word and what they're experiencing. 
Um, so when you have that joint attention with your child, it's really the optimal time for learning the meanings of words. Understanding language is the next one. This is known as receptive language. This happens first before expressive language. So there are many ways a baby can demonstrate they understand language. For example, looking at or pointing to familiar objects or people when named, showing anticipation, like I mentioned before, when certain mm -hmm. words are said, and following directions. Okay, there's three more. <laughs> Stay with me. I love it. Um, this is okay, so good. good so far. Again, this is why I love your account so much because you just lay it down by age too and also by, okay, this is going to happen and then we should see this and we'll talk about that more, but I love that. So thank you so much. So go ahead. Okay, so the next one is gestures. And in typical language development, gestures are used before words and research strongly connects gesture to word use. So we really want to see purposeful gestures being used before we can expect words to come. And this includes like pointing, even leading an adult to somewhere, pulling on a pant leg to indicate they want up, waving high and by, lifting their arms to be picked up, shaking their head yes and no. Um, there's so many different gestures that a child can use to communicate, and that shows us that they are going to be using words soon, in the next couple of months usually. And purposeful vocalizations is the next one, and these happen when your child has moved from only reflexive vocalizations, such as crying or sneezing, to intentional vocalizations to get your attention or express wants and needs, such as whining or screeching while looking at a desired object or person to indicate they want it or they want your attention. And the last one is initiation. So this is when a child starts to initiate an interaction with an adult without being prompted first. And this is important because children who initiate are getting important feedback and language modeled about things that interest them mm -hmm. during a moment of joint attention, right? So if a child points to something, then they're initiating to the adult, I'm interested in that. I want you to talk about it. And then the parent will start or caregiver will start to name the object and you have that strong triangle of attention that your child initiated so you know that it's something very interesting to them and that is when they are going to learn the most language. Oh, I love that last point so much and so important. I mean, it's like using the environment and using what they're interested in, what you're interested in, and they're looking at too, to kind of solidify and create that glue of like this, you're going to remember this word because it's something that's useful and interesting to you. That's awesome. Yeah, exactly. And just to go over the ages again, so looking and listening starts right away. You'll see some imitation right away between zero and three months, and the rest start around six to nine months and will strengthen and become more advanced by 12 months. So by 12 months, your child should have all of these skills down pat and use them throughout the day. It doesn't mean necessarily that their first word is going to come right at 12 months. The normal range for that is between 10 and 14 months. But I'm less concerned if your child has all of these skills in place by one year. So I guess my first question would be in that first year then when we look at these pre-verbal skills that we're talking about, are there certain timing or milestones, if you want to use that word, that would say, okay, this would warrant an evaluation because then we're concerned there may not be spoken language at such and such time. Yeah. So if you're not seeing, well, I mean, all of these are really important, mm -hmm. but some big ones, if you're not seeing joint attention by um, nine months, usually that, that starts to develop between six to nine months. Understanding language is another huge one that we want to see between six to nine months. So if yeah. you're not noticing those, they kind of go hand in hand. So if your child isn't understanding words, then they're not going to be able to use them purposefully. So if you think about it this way, um, your child's never going to know to request 
milk or bottle if they don't know what milk or bottle is called. They need to understand the connection between the word and the object to be able to purposefully request it or label it for you. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep No Mess meals. Chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just 2 minutes. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from each week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust. I absolutely love the spicy jalapeno, lime cheddar chicken, and mushroom chicken thighs with wild rice. Keep kitchen time to a minimum with Factor Meals because they're ready in two minutes, no shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleanup. I work from home and love the convenience and how delicious Factor Meals are. Head to factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 and use code peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code peedsdoctalk50 at factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. As a pediatrician, mom, and podcaster, I want to share with you a podcast I recently discovered. It's called Understood Explains, and this season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. I listened to an episode called The Difference Between IEPs and 504 plans, and I learned so much that I honestly didn't know before. I now feel I can better explain these to my patients and their families and better support them in their neurodiversity journey. Navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences can be confusing, and this podcast helps to validate these struggles and provide actionable tips that are useful for parents, teachers, and clinicians. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood explains. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky, wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it. So understanding words is really, really critical. And if you're noticing that by nine months of age, your child isn't looking at familiar objects or people when you name them. Um, If you say something simple like, where's daddy? And they hear the word daddy, but they don't look around for daddy or look at daddy if he's right there. That would indicate that they might not be understanding words at that age. And that will grow that skill when they're about 12 to 15 months, we want to see that they're able to follow simple directions. So if they can't, you know, go get their shoes or give mommy the ball, 
then that's an indicator that they might not understand what those words are. And we can't expect them to say words again if they don't understand them. The joint attention piece goes hand in hand with that because sometimes we'll notice that when children are not understanding language, if it's not a hearing issue, then they're likely having a joint attention issue where they're struggling to learn the meanings of the words if there's no other diagnoses going on. Oh, this is so great. I guess my other question would be, so just say these children were showing these skills, but later. So let's use your example of understanding a command, like go get your shoes, right? So Mm -hmm. ideally 12 to 15 months. So if a child's not doing that, or maybe at the later range of normal, is it safe to say that because they're showing those skills later that they may be a later talker? Potentially. um, I always like to rule out hearing loss as a possibility. Mm -hmm. Um, Even if a child appears to hear, so they might respond to noises, they enjoy music. These are common things I've heard parents say where they're like, my child totally hears. In these cases, it can be that children have fluid in their ears or some sort of hearing loss that's not being diagnosed, and that can make it difficult for them to understand language uh, and start to babble and use words. So I like to rule that out because if that's treated, then they may just start using words on time once that's worked out. If it's not related to hearing, then until they get some speech therapy and start working on that receptive piece, you can expect that the words are not going to come until that's resolved. Oh, this is so great because I think we often, or parents often focus on developing the language without thinking about these important foundation skills, which we're talking about on this episode, right? Those pre-verbal skills. What can a parent do to develop these skills? Like just say they are not trying to teach the language so early, but, or, you know, words, but what can they do to foster, you know, the anticipation, the imitating, um, just maybe some few examples of those early foundation skills that we can teach? Sure. Um, So one of the best things we can do from birth is encourage your child to look at you and share an experience with you. So getting face to face with your child, if they're an infant, you can have them on, you know, like a boppy pillow or something on your lap facing you. You can get on the floor and do tummy time with them. If they're older, you can get on the floor and play with your child instead of being, you know, more of like a spectator from the couch because engaging them in that way is going to draw attention to you and the interaction that you're having. And you're more likely to have lots more moments of joint attention when you're facing each other in that way. Um, Teaching your child to imitate you early on is another great one. And you can do this by imitating them. Uh, So if your child does an action or a gesture, like let's say bang on the table at the dinner table, you can bang on the table back at them and Mm -hmm. see if they do it again. And the goal is to get that back and forth going. So that turn taking I mentioned And then another one is use a lot of gestures when you talk and when you're singing songs, use hand gestures and body movements, because that is going to teach your child to use gestures, which I just explained is so important before words come. Awesome. And those gestures would be like, if a song has like up in it, you kind of point up like that, or um, obviously gestures to describe what's happening in the song or what you're saying. Exactly. So if you're saying up and you would point up, pointing at everything that you're talking about, it could also be when your child, let's say, wants to be picked up, you're modeling the gesture that you'd like them to do. So you're raising your arms up when you say, do you want me to pick you up? Your arms are up so that even though they can't necessarily say those words yet, they can hopefully imitate that gesture and start to use that to communicate. And I know we're talking about preverbal skills, but I would love to speak about that. So you talked about obviously gestures, you know, any other tips for how a parent can connect gestures with teaching actual spoken language? You were saying like verbalizing it when you put the gesture out. What are some other tips? 
Exactly. So, well, that's one of the very important ones is saying a word and gesturing at the same time so that your child can make that connection. And research is showing and has shown for a long time that pointing is like the holy grail of gesturing. So when you're talking about an object and when you're having that moment of joint attention, point to what you're talking about. Even though you think it's obvious that your child knows you're talking about that because you're both looking at it, you still want to model pointing because then your child is going to imitate your point. And even before they can use words, we want them to be pointing to things, like I said, to initiate that joint attention with you um, and also to let you know what they want. And if they don't have words yet, they can use their point uh, to indicate that. And I always want to tell parents, a point isn't necessarily an index finger point Mm -hmm. that can develop after a open hand point or a closed hand point that's just like they're using their whole arm to indicate something. So even if they're not using a finger, that's still considered pointing. They're drawing your attention to something that they're interested in. This is so great. I, you know, since I have you on this recording, what would be some of the mistakes that you commonly see parents make when trying to teach language? I know we're talking about pre-verbal skills, but I love your expertise. Um, what would you want to share with parents when they're finally getting into that language education and helping their children learn words? This is a great question. So one thing that I see parents doing a lot that I try and discourage in the first year is really focusing heavily on academic concepts. So colors, shapes, numbers, and letters. And those things are important when your child is older and going to preschool. But in the beginning, when your child is learning language, we really want to focus on functional language, functional words that are going to get their wants and needs met. So imagine if your child could say blue and circle, they can't really request that they're hungry or thirsty or tell you that they want to go outside. So the more you repeat words, the more likely your child is going to pick them up. So if your playtime is always focused on these academic concepts, those might be your child's first words and they're not really helpful for your child. So examples of functional words would be more, help, eat, want, uh, the names of important people, mommy, daddy, favorite toys, favorite foods. So things that your child can use to request and to talk about. Another big one is telling your child to say certain words or asking them, can you say mm-hmm. blank? Mm-hmm. Um, I just always tell parents repetition is so huge. And I think that they underestimate how much you really need to repeat something before your child can pick it up. So the best thing to do, especially when your child is nearing that age where you're hoping words are going to come, is to continue to model the words that you'd like your child to say instead of asking them to say them. Say more. Just say exactly. more. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's so funny, Melissa. Like, my mom and dad are visiting, and I think socially, culturally, we're used to doing that, right? I hear it all the time. Like, I mean, my patients, um, I used to do it. And I'm like, wait. And then I obviously learned more as I became a pediatrician. I'm like, no, that makes no sense. But um, it, it just happens. Like, we're like, and my mom is doing it right now. Okay, Ryan, say nani, which is grandma, say nani. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, mom, just point to yourself and say nani. Like, it's um, exactly, it's so, yeah. It's so hard. Like, I love that you're bringing that up because I think it's common. And I think when you say it like that, it really says, oh yeah, I do do that a lot. You know, I do say, say da 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 versus just pointing and labeling. Um, totally. And that repetition. Um, that repetition is so key. Oh my gosh. And, you know, from even just personal experience, I know you would say the same thing with your own children, how much the repetition, and then we talked about this earlier, the repetition of things they're noticing and that we're noticing and that they're interested in also, right? The joint attention Mm-hmm. combined with the repetition of the items that are in that joint attention. Exactly. To me, 
are what I see personally. Like Ryan, we have a big giraffe in his room. One of his first words was giraffe because of the amount of time he wakes up and points to the giraffe. And I say, giraffe. And now he goes, graph. Like it's, <laughs> yeah, it's so, exactly. It's, so, it's not a useful, I, I get it that it's not a useful word, but it's because of that. It's that repetition. Yeah. He sees it every day. And I also point to it and say giraffe. Yeah. And, and I, I, yeah. I would argue that it is a functional word because it's something he sees in his everyday oh, life that yeah. he likes. And, yeah. and he's able to start a conversation with you. So even though he's not necessarily requesting giraffe, he's saying, mommy, look, giraffe. And so it's that so he's starting cool. a conversation with you. Yeah. It is so cute. And you, like you said, like you started this because you love sharing your expertise. Um, it is so cool seeing that develop, right? I mean, that's why I love being a pediatrician too, is that you get to see all this change. And, you know, I think this episode is going to be so great for people who may be concerned, like, oh, my child may not have the joint attention, or they may not have the gestures, or they may not have the turn-taking skills. Maybe I should bring that up um, with my child's clinician. Is there anything else you want to add before we wrap up? Yeah. So one thing I always love to share with parents, and maybe you do already with your patients, is that early intervention, if you're in the United States, is an amazing free or nearly free resource for families. And I can't tell you how many people I've told on Instagram and they've never heard of it. So I'd love to just get the word out that that is an option for families who are wanting to get an evaluation or have a concern but can't afford it or just want to know exactly what's going on. Because I always encourage a let's check and see versus a let's wait and see approach. And so if anyone's worried, then just get it checked out and see what's going on. So that's one thing. Um, I know that that's not an option for everybody or there's a wait list and people don't want to wait. My course called Raising Little Talkers is for parents of children zero to 36 months. And it really teaches you all the tools um, for how to encourage these preverbal skills that we talked about. I cover all of them in the course with example videos, and then I go into words and phrases as well. So that's an option for parents who want to get started at home and to feel more empowered, like they know what they're doing. I don't know about you, Mona, but like when I was having my first baby, I was told like, just do tummy time. And I didn't really know how to do tummy time. Mm -hmm. I, I felt like, okay, I'm supposed to do it. I know it's important. It's kind of like the Holy Grail for like my child learning to sit up and crawl and walk. So I kind of feel like I tried to create the course that was like the tummy time equivalent. I wanted parents to feel like they knew how to support their child as they are developing so that they could be prepared to meet all of these mini milestones and then get to words and eventually phrases. So yeah, it's not talked about enough, but I hope that that's a helpful resource. Yeah, I agree with you that um, most of the resources out there for early childhood development, especially in that first year, you know, is more for the motor skills totally. um, than speech. And I get it that you're not actually teaching spoken language before one, like you're not like teaching them to say glue or up at like five months of age, but mm -hmm. those foundation skills that you're talking about are important. Um, oh, this is so great. And I'm going to link everything, including your Instagram handle for everyone listening and any of your resources. But what would be your final message for everyone listening with, you know, all this amazing information that you've presented? Okay, so my final message is that parents do not cause delays. Mm -hmm. Mom guilt is such a huge, gross thing that we all experience. It's so horrible. And I know so many parents have felt like this is my fault that my child is not meeting milestones or that they're not talking yet. And, you know, unless a child is severely, severely neglected or abused, really parents do not cause these types of things. 
There are things you can do to encourage the skills, you know, like I said, which is why I created my course and which is why speech therapy is really effective. But I just want to relieve parents of this mom guilt or dad guilt that this is something that they caused because they weren't doing enough. Some children need nothing. You just do what you're going to do and you don't think about it. And then there are other children who need support and you can't possibly know that they're going to need this extra support or a different approach until you get there. So, you know, when you know better, you change your ways and then, wow, hopefully it's effective and you see the change in your child. But I hope that that's a helpful message for, for mommies and daddies. It is because I think there is a misconception, like that last comment you said, like I see it also, and I'm going to give my example. Like I am doing everything I know to do for speech, right? And also I learn from you and I obviously, I know these things and Ryan is doing really good for his milestone, but he's not saying like 150 words, right? Mm -hmm. Um, He's 18 months, but he's doing really good for him. And so it's, it's comparing the child on their own journey um, and knowing your resources, knowing the skills you need to teach your child. And it's not a competition. I do know that there is a badge of honor if your child walks early or if your child speaks early. There's this like, oh, my child's amazing. And I think that's awesome. I do. But I also want people to understand on that flip side, it really isn't a, well, you didn't do everything right. You actually are doing right. And your job is to know how do I engage with my child? Your job is to know, what do I need to do if my child is not meeting X, Y, and Z or along this time? Do I need to be concerned? Do I need early intervention? That is the goal here. It's not comparing. It's my own child's journey and what do I need to do to best service my child and their own development because everyone's different. Like I see it all the time. I have children who speak super early, but then maybe walk a little bit later or you know have these sort of cognitive skills early and speak later. I mean, there's just so much variation Mm-hmm. And I, I want that for, I agree with you that, that mommy guilt, daddy guilt, any guilt that, well, maybe I didn't do enough. I really want to squash that too, because this is why we do these episodes, right? I want these educational pieces to be there so parents know, well, you know what? I am concerned or I want to talk about it with my child's clinician or get a second opinion. That's the goal here. So you're just awesome. I'm going to have you back on again. I, you know, I love you on your social media too. So thank you for that message. Oh, you're welcome. Well, everyone listening, make sure you check out the show notes for resources. Follow Melissa at Raising Little Talkers on Instagram. I'm attaching it to the show notes page and we will see you next week. Thanks again, Melissa. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in for this week's episode. As always, please leave a review, share this episode with a friend, share it on your social media. Make sure to follow me at PedsDocTalk on Instagram and subscribe to my YouTube channel, TV. We'll talk to you soon. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. 
Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. 